broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in phoenix arizona it's time for valley business radio spotlighting the valley's best businesses and the people who lead them Welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you with the right people. I'm Adrian McIntyre. Today's show is another installment in our mini-series on financial topics brought to you by the team at Wild Wealth Management Group, an award-winning independent financial advisory firm that provides comprehensive retirement, investment, real estate, insurance, legal, and tax planning services all under one roof. Each Wednesday, professionals from the firm and their trusted partners delve into topics ranging from retirement and the stock market to college planning, real estate, and insurance. Over the next few episodes, we're doing a deep dive into popular retirement plans and everything you need to know. Today, we're discussing pensions and whether or not they're doomed because of the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me for this conversation is Jeff Anthony, an investment advisor representative with Wild Wealth Management Group. Jeff's a father of four, if you count his honorary child, a French bulldog named Layla. Jeff, nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you, Adrian. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We're going to get into this topic, and sometimes these topics can be heavy and nerdy and complicated, but I always like to know a little bit about the human being. How did Jeff Anthony get to where he is today? What's, what's your backstory? Why do you do this kind of work? Sure. So kind of, I got into this industry uh, actually in the last financial crisis that we were into. So uh, Got my feet wet in this in 2008, so started working uh, for a corporation as a licensed banker. Um, one of my main reasons for getting into this is I just, uh, I like people or helping people plan their goals out and just making sure that they reach those goals all the way to retirement and then all the way through it. So it really comes down to just helping people and this is a, a foreign language for a lot of people. So just being able to help make that path a little bit easier for them. So um so that's kind of the background on why I got into it. And, uh, you know, after 2008, that was definitely a very hectic time for a lot of us. Um, we saw, I know we're talking about pension plants today, but a lot of people saw a lot of pain from, you know, their uh, 401ks, housing, all that kind of stuff. Um, so really, you know, this isn't something that I know this is something new with the healthcare pandemic that we're going through right now, but um, we've been through other types of recessions before. So hopefully I can shed a little bit of light on that. Yeah, perfect. You know, you said something so interesting that I think uh, we ought to give all of us a, a bit of pause, which is that financial literacy is something like a foreign language to most people. And it's not one that's typically taught in school right. of the most important skills uh, that make a productive, healthy, happy, flourishing life communication, emotional intelligence, and financial literacy, money smarts, 100%. are not on the curriculum. So you often find yourself dealing with people who have a, the, the, the natural human drives, fears, concerns, goals, desires. They want things for themselves and their family. And there's this world out there of very complicated options that sometimes have hidden price tags, and you help navigate that landscape for them. What do you love about that? Why do you do that? You know what? It uh, comes back to being having the heart of a teacher because it's one of those things where, you know, if you can help somebody educate or help educate somebody and put it in uh, layman terms for them, it just makes it so much easier for them to make a educated decision on that or an informed decision. And it just puts their mind at ease. That's one of the biggest things I tell people is, you know, if you come in and meet with us, the biggest thing that we like to do is 
if anything, you gain knowledge from this and then it just empowers that person to make a better decision, which ultimately, you know, with financial planning, with what we do, it's just a series of good decisions that lead to your ultimate goal. So. Yeah, and th- making those decisions really requires understanding uh, all the different options and a lot of the interconnectedness between some of the retirement planning, the tax considerations, you know, the the goals that we all have in our in our lives, you know, for the for the two point five kids and the picket fence or whatever it is these days. <laughs> yeah. I've really lost track of what where what, what where the American dream is. It's probably yep. not that. It's it's much more interesting <laughs> and uh, and and kind of hip than I am, but. In, in this mix of, of things, we need to talk about pensions. This is something that 20, 30 years ago would have been a very different conversation. Why don't you tee this up a little bit for us? What, what are pensions? How do they work? And, and why, is this, why is this conversation in 2020 different than it would have been in you know, 1970? Right. So uh, pensions back in 1970 or, you know, looking at this 30, 40 years ago, um, a lot more people had them. So uh, when you're looking at the um, so pensions, let's kind of back up a little bit and start out with what they are. So essentially what this is, is a um, this is an account that your employer contributes to. And then in the future, when you reach your retirement age, which is usually they set those to 65, some of them are 62, depending on the plans, um, it's going to pay you a guarantee monthly payment in retirement. So you use this as a supplement to Social Security and any other retirement savings that you have as a way to replace your paycheck from when you're from your current years or current working years. Um, and the reason why it's so important today is because because it was so popular, um, you know, when companies were coming in the 60s, 70s and 80s, um, that was one of their main benefits that they gave you. They said, hey, come work for our company. And it was a retention tool. Um, if you work for us for 40 years, and which is why we saw, you know, some of our parents and grandparents worked for the same company for this, you know, one company of their entire lifetime, which is almost more uncommon now. Um, that was one of the things that they got. they If you stick with us, you're going to share in our benefits and we're going to put this money aside for you. And then it's going to provide you, you know, a lifetime income that you can live comfortably in your retirement. So, yeah, gold watch and then a comfortable, uh, you know, uh, retirement lifestyle, right? Yeah, exactly. This is something that I'm personally fascinated by. Um, although I'm not a financial expert by any means, I, I, I pay a lot of attention to humans and human behavior. And I, I used to teach uh, in, in a university setting, uh, for 11 years, both as a, a graduate student and then as a faculty member. And I would often see young adults grappling with the fact that the world they were entering into was so different from what their parents and their, you know, going back years, their high school guidance counselors and so on had told them. And they're, they're not having this uh, unease at that particular moment in life primarily because of the existence or non-existence of pensions. But at some level, these things are interrelated. The nature of careers have fundamentally changed, as you alluded to. People are not working for the same company for the same length of time, and that's become the norm rather than uh, some deviation from the norm. I mean, those of us who've always been entrepreneurial and self-employed and kind of outside that framework, nothing much has changed. But um, the world really has shifted and how people need to plan for their future has also shifted. How do you discuss these things with your clients? What are some of the key topics and concerns you find yourself addressing over and over? Well, you brought up some really great points. Um, one of the biggest things is uh, with the financial literacy point that we were talking on at the beginning of the episode, um, 
with the like our parents' generation, if they did have a pension, all of that risk and all of that knowledge that they needed, they didn't really have to have a whole lot. It was more of, okay, it didn't matter about how it was managed or what the rate of return was. All of that risk is what they call it, is going to be on the employer. So you never really had to worry about, okay, you know, how much money should I be saving? Or not necessarily that, but it's how my fund should be invested in or how's the performance doing. That in itself uh, puts a lot of pressure on people. So with uh, like our generation, since we don't have those guaranteed size, we now are thrown into this, this area or this group of people that have to make all these financial decisions. And if you don't, if you can't speak the language or you don't understand how to read these charts or the funds, the expenses, all that type of stuff, um, then it puts you in a bad spot because you just don't know. And a lot of people shy away from things that they don't understand, which is reasonable. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it used to be that what was defined was the benefit, right? If you, if you put in your time and you work uh, the, the way we ask you to for this length of time, this is what you're going to get. And you could look it up and you could see, oh, if, you know, there's charts. My, my mother worked in a, a public school district in Southern California and had a defined benefit type of public pension. And she knew already, like, if I put in X amount of years, this is the dollar amount I'm going to get out of the system. That doesn't happen at all if you know or not much anyway and now people are look, dealing with what's called a defined contribution so if you this is the money you're going to put in but what you just said is so important because who manages that and makes decisions about what's going to happen to the money it's really shifting responsibility to everyday folks and they haven't been trained to do this so how do you help them so one of the things that we do to really help people out is um, setting up, like having them come in, um, bringing in their uh, their benefit program that they get, whether it's a defined contribution, defined benefit. So contribution is going to be money that you're putting in. Uh, a lot of the times your employer will match you. So you hear about three or 5% matches that you get in your 401k. By the way, everybody should be taking advantage of that. That is free money. So if you're not, make sure that you're doing at least the matching portion. Um and then really understanding what they have and what options are available to them. And then secondly, giving them those projections. They're not going to be as accurate as the defined contrib- or the f- defined benefit programs or the pension plans. Um, because again, those pension plans have a guaranteed rate of return that they're assuming. Um, you and I know the markets go up and down, whether you're invested in stocks or bonds or whatever it is. Um, so you're going to have that variation in there. But we do have very sophisticated planning tools that help kind of give you a guideline. We call it Monte Carlo. So it literally gets its term from Vegas. Um, and it runs a thousand different scenarios up till retirement. So we can say, okay, if we run these thousand scenarios and we have, you know, 30 great years in the market, or we have 30 poor years in the market, and we kind of extrapolate that out and give you an average, um, that'll give you an idea on what your balance could be, and then give you an idea on what a reasonable rate of withdrawal should be as well. It strikes me that um, as, as the world evolves, and we try to figure out different ways of living, working, governing that adapt to the changing times, to the changing ways we live, work, and govern. Uh, public pensions, you know, really have been a, a, a point of concern for many economists, many, you know, state and local government, <laughs> you know, leaders uh, for a long time. The, the coronavirus pandemic has certainly accelerated some of those concerns. Uh, what's the state of this now? Are public pensions doomed forever? Uh, are, is there still hope for them? What, what, what are you seeing? 
Right. So um, I kind of answering that before we came into this whole uh, pandemic that we kind of hit into in March when it kind of reached its uh, low point, um, the public pensions were about a trillion dollars short of funding for their benefits. So this is something that isn't that just didn't uh, come up this year. This has been something that we've been talking about for years and years and decades, right? Um, and the way that these are funded is typically through um, some type of tax revenue, right? So on the public side. Um, so if you're teachers, uh, firefighters, police officers, a state of local worker. Um, that's typically how these pensions are funded. And so heading into this, uh, those monies are being put in or being constantly funded depending on our budgets, just like we see now with them putting money in. Just like you and I do in our 401ks, we have to invest that money in stocks and bonds. So it, the rate of return is going to be uh, affected by you know, what happens in the market. And from March, basically from the peak of the market at the end of February to the bottom um, in March 24th, uh, we saw the stock market drop 35%. So what's happening now is you have a compounding of effect of, okay, we're already trying to catch up. We have a trillion or a trillion dollars behind the ball. And now on top of that, we just, you know, our, uh, the balance of our uh, account just dropped significantly because of what the pandemic came through. Now, there's an emotional impact of that. A lot of folks' uh, idea of kind of financial hygiene, if you will, is check the check the big number at the bottom of the of the account right. at least you know once a month or something, and just see how we're doing. And when those numbers get a lot smaller as we saw in 2008, 2009, and as we saw here in that February, March kind of nosedive period, that freaks people out. And they have a sense of, um, you know, impending doom, if you will, some, some, some kind of panic. Your job is to help your clients stay the course, kind of keep a level head. And, and, and that can get tricky when there's so many things that are causing concern for people, the, their own health and well-being, their family, their kids, you know, the, the world of work having changed so fundamentally, kids being at home more than they ever have been, uh, right. you know, people still needing to work, like the whole, the whole thing. Just what turned do you, upside down. It yeah. was topsy-turvy and still continues to be uh, for so many people. What What are you telling folks? How are you helping them Stay calm if they can and 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 take a level-headed approach to this. Right. Well, just like we've seen in the last recession that we went through, um, these downturns are temporary. Now, temporary is different. It could be six months. It could be 18 months. It could be two years. Um, but the biggest thing is you have to kind of step back and look where you are. I know um, with everybody, we're wearing multiple hats, whether you know kids are having to do online schooling from home or your job is now becoming remote league or your job got cut. You know, Unfortunately, there's been a lot of uh, damage done to the economy um, from us just shutting it down. Um, just to kind of keep everybody protected. So, you know, it's been really hard. So when we meet with our clients and I meet uh, just with people in general, I just tell them like, this is just a spot in time. Just like when we were running and they were really worried about the pension plans, you know, if you looked at it at the end of the first quarter, you know, the markets were down roughly, call it 25 to 30%. Well, if you look at it as of yesterday, we're almost back up to all time highs. So we've seen the biggest recovery, the biggest swing in the stock market in the history of the markets. So one of the things I tell people is, you know, you really have to set those long-term goals and just have goals set along the way. You have, you know, annual goals, five-year goals. And then if you have retirement goals on your long-term plan, don't let these minor speed bumps get in the way because just like when you're going on a vacation, um, 
back before smartphones, you used to print out a MapQuest, right? And if there's an accident in the road, it doesn't mean that you just cancel the whole trip, right? You just, you might take a little bit of a detour. And that's essentially, we try to plan or you try to plan for these downturns. They happen every, you know, five to 10 years, depending on the market cycle. So it's not something that's, I guess, irregular. It's normal and necessary for the markets to reset. Nobody can ever plan for a pandemic, right? So it was different than it was back in 2008. Um, but you just got to keep your, you just got to remember, you don't need this money tomorrow that you have in there. And if you did, um, like I said, we, we set people up where you have rainy day funds and things like that. So you don't have to access this long-term money. You have a backup plan. So it's really just looking at the road, looking at it long-term, don't let it, don't touch it. Um, the power of compounding, this has been said by much smarter people than me, um, is one of the greatest things that we have. So you just got to let your money sit, compound, um, and just make sure you have a good plan in place to fund those goals. That road trip analogy is such a such a good one because the, the ultimate goal is to get to your destination right. at some point, preferably safely and with everyone that you left with. You exactly. Know, uh, um, and not like the Oregon Trail where your oxen died and you, <laughs> yeah. you got some new kids along the way or whatever, showing yeah. my age there with that one. I love um, that. Now, as families are feeling the constraint of the variety of pressures that are, are being put on them, they're taking closer looks at their own budgets uh, and and implementing, let's, let's be fancy and call it austerity measures sometimes at home. Of course, companies and state and local governments are doing the same thing. They're really having to dig into their budgets. They're having to look for what can we cut? Where can we save? How can we get through this? And one of the options on the table is to cut pensions. One of the options on the table is to consider bankruptcy. Even local cities debating whether or not bankruptcy is a smart financial move. And of course, there's huge implications of this. What are some of the impacts that we're seeing out there uh, as as the folks who have provided the pension plans are starting to look at them as a potential cost saving area and making some drastic changes, like you said, it's it definitely affects. And there's basically two different uh, two different groups that this is really going to affect. This is one people that are currently still working and that were promised a pension, and then current retirees that are uh, receiving the pension currently. So on the first one with people that are currently working, um, the biggest thing is you just have to consider possible backup plans. Like you got to have an emergency plan. So looking at other alternative savings plans, whether, you know, if you're with a state and local pension, you know, that might be a 401A or a 403B. These are just different tax codes for uh, 401Ks. Um, so it's different retirement savings. So there are plans that you have available that you can save outside of these pension plans um, and almost use it, like you said, like as a, you know, an austerity plan. What happens if you're just like if you got um, a pay cut today, you know, roughly um, when we look at that's about 14 million Americans have pensions right now or that are promised pensions. So, and that roughly makes up about 20% of their portfolio. If 20% of your portfolio went away and you're, you know, five years from retirement, that's not a great thing. So always making sure that, um, that you have a solid financial plan and making sure that, uh, you know, are those goals, like if this does happen, do you have a backup plan to do this rather than just being, you know, deer, caught deer in the headlights? And then with the current, um, the people that are current, currently receiving the benefits. I mean, that's one of the things that you just got to go out and you got to talk to your state and local officials about because they've worked their entire lives for that. Um, 
I couldn't even tell you how frustrated I would be if, you know, I worked at a company for 40 years or I worked for the state or local government for 40 years and put in my time. And, you know, they may have not had the same earning potential as somebody in the private sector, but they were promised a pension in the long run. And then that was swept underneath them after they've spent their entire lives on that. That wouldn't feel great at all. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you raise a really important point. And I, and I think the numbers here are so important for us to keep in mind as we're having this conversation you know, the notes I have here say 13% of private sector workers have a pension. So that's not a huge amount, but it's a sizable number. If you realize that the number of private sector workers, I don't, I'm not an economist, but it's somewhere in the hundreds of millions. So 13% of those folks have, have a pension. 77% of state and local government workers have one. So the people who are most threatened by cuts and, and, and cancellations to, of this, of this, tool are the people who work at state and local government levels. In other words, the essential workers on the public sector side who are are, are working in, in, in important but often not glorious <laughs> roles to keep the lights on, keep the trains running, just, you know, as a metaphor, do all the things that, that government has to do, which is a lot of administration, a lot of bureaucracy, you know, like it or leave it, it'd be pretty hard to live without it. So what are their options? That This is something that's to a certain degree out of their control. Although, as you said, speaking up and having a voice and contacting your representatives is one of the primary benefits of a representative democracy. So use that or lose it. But what, what can people do uh, if, if these decisions are being made and they feel they can't influence them? How do they still uh, make smart choices for themselves and their family? I would say one of the biggest things that you can do is really just um, start developing. If you really believe, like, obviously you can look, they send out um, a funding program. So they'll tell you whether or not your state and local government is funded or if there is a deficit, how much of it is behind. And you can kind of get an idea. So if they were to take a some type of pay cut now, I would say, look at your overall budget and say, okay, what can we cut from the non-essential part? Or is there something else that I can do to generate money? So maybe a part-time job or something like that. Um, if you're currently in retirement, I know that's got to be extremely hard. And that's one of the biggest things that um, why having a financial planner is really the uh, really important is so we can kind of identify those potential risks because there's risks all over the place. Some of those, some of the stuff that you can quantify, some of the stuff that you can't. Um, but that would be the biggest thing. It's just really dialing down and seeing what's essential, what's not. Um, and then what can you do to potentially fulfill or basically make up for that loss in income if you do have that loss. Yeah, I love, Jeff, what you said at the beginning about how what what you find fulfilling in this role is that you get to play that educational function. You get to, you get to be the teacher and the guide. Uh, as you're talking to these folks who are obviously struggling with a lot of, mm -hmm. a, a lot of challenges, a lot of concerns, a lot of pressure, right? Both at home and, and externally. Um, what's the one thing you keep coming back to? What's the one thing that you find helps people calm down enough to focus on what, what really matters here? Obviously, the number one thing, like you said, is family, but focus on your long-term goals. Everything, there's always going to be the next event that's going to happen, whether it's the pandemic we're going through or the election or a budget, uh, budget uh, ceiling uh, debate or something like that. There's always going to be that next hurdle that's going to come up. So really just focus on the long-term goals that you have 
So that's always number one. And then two, try not to get caught up in the day-to-day stuff. It's, you got to prioritize and make sure that you know what's important, friends, family, your health, and, you know, just put everything into perspective and try not to, I know we're in a scary time right now and there's a lot of uncertainty, but just, you know, if you're healthy, we live in America, it's the greatest country in the world. You know, you got to put that into perspective, like just make sure that you have your, your goals put in plan and then taking care of your family and just living every day to its fullest. Perspective really matters. Wise words indeed. Jeff Anthony is an investment advisor representative with Wild Wealth Management Group. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. All right. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate you having me. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Valley Business Radio on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at valleybusinessradio.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio. Wild Wealth Management Group has ranked as one of the top advisors for the 12th consecutive year on Barron's Top 1200 Financial Advisors, ranked number one in Arizona for 2020. Award recipient Trevor Wild, Financial Advisor at Wild Wealth Management Group. Barron's top 1,200 advisors. Over 4,000 advisors who wish to be ranked fill out a 102-question survey about their practice. Data is verified and then applied to a ranking formula. The ranking reflects the volume of assets overseen by the advisors and their teams, revenues generated for the firms, and the quality of the advisors' practices. The scoring system assigns a top score of 100 and rates the rest by comparing them with the top-ranked advisor. Listing in this publication and or award is not a guarantee of future investment success. This recognition should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors LLC, member FINRA, SIPIC, a broker-dealer, and a registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. 7025 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 115, Scottsdale, Arizona, 85253.